while we um, just do the logistics here, let me introduce myself. If you don't know me, I'm Gus. I um, run our building here. I'm on staff. I uh, yeah, manage the building. So if you see anything uh, wrong with the building, let me know. Or if you know how to uh, fix it, even better. Um, <laughs> You can come and tell me how exactly you're going to fix it, um, and then and then I'll decide whether you're going to be good enough, and then we'll uh, I'll I'll let you loose. Um, I also do our finances and manage those uh, with Hannah, who's just started uh, with me. That's been a lot of fun teaching her how to all, do all the little bits, and I also get the opportunity to coordinate our evangelistic activities, our Alpha course, uh, going out into the city, telling people about Jesus, helping us to reach Nottingham with His good news. As you'll know, if you've been with us for a few weeks, we've been um, going actually for more than a few weeks, for a few months, nearly more than a year, I think, through the book of Matthew. And we're coming to the end, guys. We're nearly there. Um, today, I'm going to be speaking on the Great Commission, these last five verses at the end of Matthew's gospel. Um, and we're going to actually slow down. Uh, we're going to be going through these over four weeks, doing a little mini-series, looking at these words seeing what God has to say to um, us through them. And I'll read them in a minute, uh, but you might want to find those in a Bible so you can uh, follow along if you've got one on your phone or a paper copy. But I just want to start by saying these are hugely important but challenging words for us, both uh, individually in our personal discipleship, but also for us as a church. Are we fulfilling this Great Commission, individually and corporately, are we fulfilling Jesus' commands here? These um, five verses have been called uh, the Great Commission. That's how they're commonly known. They've also called, been called uh, Jesus' Manifesto. That sounds posh, doesn't it? Harnack, a German theologian, even said about these verses, it's impossible to say anything greater or more than this in only 40 words quite a big claim. But what Jesus has to say to us here is important stuff for our personal discipleship and to, for us as a body of believers. But for a lot of us, actually, this area of our Christian lives, this evangelism, sharing Jesus, making disciples, this is one of the parts of our discipleship, our following of Jesus, that we find the most difficult. In a world of you do you and I'll do me, in a world of relative truth, it's difficult to proclaim the truth that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. That to know the creator of the universe, you have to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So let's pray as we come to this passage. Let's ask him to help us. Lord, I thank you so much for your scriptures, your word to us, which we find here in our Bibles. Lord, I pray that today it would be a, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Would you guide us? Would you instruct us? Would you show us how to live in a way that honours you? Lord, we want to live for you. So Lord, help us today by your Holy Spirit. Teach us how to live in a way that you call us to live. And Lord, as we look at this passage that for many of us is, is fairly familiar, Lord, protect us from that over-familiarity. Lord, I ask that you'd speak to us afresh today. Lord, today would we be hearers of your word, but we'd also be doers of your word, that we'd put these words into action in our lives. By your Holy Spirit today, help me to speak clearly. Help us all to listen. Help us to hear your words. We need you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. 
We heard last week from Marvelous that, that wonderful story of Jesus' resurrection. We heard of the, uh, of the women going to the tomb and there's only angels there. Jesus is gone. He is risen from the dead. And the angels give this instruction to the disciples. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. And so we head to Galilee. Um, this is Matthew 28 uh, from verse 16, the Great Commission. Then the disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. I don't know whether you've noticed as we've gone through Matthew, but Jesus absolutely loves a mountain. <laughs> Maybe he was just a, a fan of a good view I'm a, I'm a big fan of a, big, uh, of a good view. As a family, when we were growing up, we used to go to the highlands of Scotland, go and see the beautiful m mountains and hills and valleys and locks up there. Maybe Jesus is just a fan of a good view, but he keeps on going up mountains. I I'm pretty picky about my definition of a mountain, though. So um, I know there's, there's differing uh, opinions in this world. But I've always been told, I've always been taught that a mountain has to be over a thousand meters. Has to be over a thousand meters or it's not a mountain. So I'm sorry to break it to you. If you've climbed Scarfell Pike, 997 meters, it's just a big hill, guys. <laughs> it's just a big hill. You have to go to Scotland or to Wales, go and climb Ben Nevis or go and go to Snowdonia and climb uh, mountains there. Um, I googled uh, mountains in Upper Galilee, where Jesus is probably giving this teaching, and there's a few mountains that are above the 1,000-meter mark. So maybe it is a mountain, or maybe it's just a big hill. <laughs> either way, either way, Matthew is signposting something to us. Um, all the way through the Bible, significant moments happen up mountains. Um, Moses is, uh, meets with God and receives the Ten Commandments up Mount Sinai. Elijah meets with the living God up a mountain, and that continues in Matthew. Jesus' most famous teaching, the Sermon of the Mount, that is up a mount, a mountain. And the transfiguration, it happens up the mountain. This is the first thing to notice today. This is important. This is important teaching for us. Matthew is highlighting that. Jesus goes up a mountain. That's the first thing to notice. This is important. But as Jesus goes up the mountain, he calls his disciples up a mountain, just as Moses and Elijah have gone up a mountain to meet the living God, to speak with him in Elijah's course, case. Sorry. God, uh, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is calling his disciples up the mountain to meet with the living God, to hear God's very words. These are Jesus' last instructions to his disciples. This is what he leaves us with in the Gospel of Matthew. It's important. But what was Jesus' response? What were the disciples' response to meeting Jesus, to meeting 
the resurrected Jesus. That's, that's what's next in our passage. They bow down before Jesus. They show him reverence and awe. They worship him, but some doubt. I don't know about you, but if I was writing this gospel, if I was Matthew, if I was writing these words and I'd seen this happen, I would have probably definitely noted that um, the disciples worship God. But would I have put in that they doubted as well? Maybe I'm just a bit too positive, but I might have just uh, pushed that under the carpet. I might have ignored that bit. But Matthew puts it in here because it happened, because it happened, because some of the disciples were weak, because some of them doubted. Matthew is highlighting the disciples' weakness. This is the second thing to notice. You see, Matthew knows that Jesus is about to give huge, life-changing instruction, but he wants us to be in no doubt that it won't be in the disciples' strength that they fulfill this commission. It's not in our strength that we fulfill this commission. It wasn't in the disciples' strength that they fulfill this commission. It's all of God. I don't know about you, but that is a great comfort. I love that it's not uh, an almighty show of strength. The disciples' last actions in this gospel are not almighty shows of strength or awesome work, but that's of devotion in worship, yes, but also weakness. Our weakness is not a 21st century problem. We're in good company in our weakness. The first disciples were weak. Even today when we're weak, we can look back. Disciples of Jesus have already or have always been weak. I know my weakness, especially when I'm trying to fulfill the words of this commission. I'm so often tentative in this. I mess up my words. I say the wrong thing. I worry about whether people like me enough to hear my words. I worry that I've chickened out and not spoken up when I could have done. I worry that at the other end of the spectrum, that I've been too boisterous in my proclamation of what Jesus has done and I've put people off. If you feel weak in this area of proclaiming who Jesus is and sharing the good news of Jesus, you're in good company. But be under no illusion. It's not by your own human strength that we're to fulfill Jesus' words here. And in the midst of the disciples' um, tentativeness, in the midst of their weakness, Jesus has some pretty big words for us. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. That's the third thing to notice in this passage. Jesus' authority. Just think about what a huge statement that is. Jesus is saying, I am God incarnate. I'm the Messiah, the one you've been waiting for. I'm the Son of Man, the one who died, who is risen, who has defeated all evil, all the forces of evil in the world. And soon Jesus is to be ascended, to be seated at the right hand of, our, of the Father, to have authority. Jesus is the King. He's claiming all authority. In the midst of the disciples' tentativeness, in the midst of their uh, doubt, Jesus claims all authority. He's reassuring the hesitant disciples. I'm in control. I've got you. 
I think we can get confused about exactly what Jesus having all authority means. It's not the claim that the world is exactly as Jesus wants it to be when he says these words, or now, but that he's taking a world which is marred by greed and corruption, lust and pain, and every kind of evil and sin and wickedness, but he's turning it to be more like the world he intended. He's the king, and he's turning it to be more like the world that he wants it to be, to be more under his lordship, to be lived in by people who honor and glorify him. What a comfort. Jesus has all authority. He's got us, guys. It's not our responsibility. It's not our initiative. It's not our plan. It's not down to our strategy. We don't have to save people. Jesus has authority. He's the king. He's the sovereign. But out of that place of authority, out of that place of sovereignty in this, he does ask something of us. Those are our next verses. These are the famous verses of the Great Commission. And this is the fourth thing to notice about our passage. This requires our obedience. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Go. Go therefore. Make disciples. Make followers of him. It's an instruction. And this instruction is a matter of obedience for us. Go and make disciples. This instruction isn't just for the super keen. It's not just for those who are gifted in this area, though God does give us uh, the evangelists in our community. People who are especially gifted in this. It's not for those who have more time than I have. Or for those who are, um, uh, yes, especially socially confident. Or for those who are only in a place of worship. But it's for those who worship and for those who doubt. Jesus calls us all, he calls us all to go. And and in fact, the Bible tells us that to be obedient is better than to worship. 1 Samuel 15, 22 says, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. That's pretty challenging. Jesus sends us. Are we obedient to his call? This is our purpose as Christians. This is the job that he gives us. Are we obedient to this call? Are the people in your life that you're praying for to become followers of Jesus? Do you have friends who don't know Jesus? Do you hang out with people who don't yet know Jesus? Or are you in a Christian bubble? Do you only really know Christians? Do you have friends who are in your home who don't know Jesus? Are they around your table? Are you sharing life with them? Who in your daily interactions, maybe in your workplace, maybe on your course, know that you love Jesus and you want them to love him as well? Guys, this isn't easy. It isn't easy a lot of the time, but God does call us into good works, which he's prepared in advance for us to do. He calls us to be ready to share the gospel. 
He calls us to be, to be praying for our friends. He calls us to be living lives of integrity in our work. He calls us to shape our lives deliberately so that we have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. So we have the opportunity to introduce people to Jesus. This is our purpose. And the next two commands tell us how to make disciples. Um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. Baptizing is what happens at the start of the Christian faith. It's part of the birthing, birthing process for a new Christian. We have uh, our baptism pool up from last Sunday. We're going to be baptizing some more people um, next week. And wasn't it an absolute privilege to baptize Ella and Send uh, last Sunday, both who come to the point of um, wanting to be baptized, professing Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And if you listened carefully to their testimonies, their stories of how they came to faith, they both mentioned friends who walked alongside them in their journey. For Ella, it was over the course of several years. She had a friend who kept on pointing her to Jesus, who kept on her encouraging her in that, who prayed for her. She didn't necessarily see the fruit straight away, but Ella became a Christian because her friend, partly because her friend pointed her to Jesus. And Send, the journey for Send, the journey was much quicker, but her role, her friend's role, sorry, of praying for her, of teaching her how to read the Bible and walking alongside her, it was really significant in her becoming a Christian. How encouraging. How encouraging that God uses us to help make disciples mysteriously. He involves us in this process of people, of people coming to the point of baptism. But you'll notice that the work doesn't finish there. It's not only about getting people baptized. It's not only about getting people to pray the prayer. It's not only about making converts. It's the next bit, teaching them to obey all I have, I have commanded them. In Matthew, being a disciple of Jesus is someone who gets baptized and someone who obeys all he has commanded you. See, previously in Matthew, Jesus sent the disciples out. But he said very explicitly not to go to the Gentiles. He emphasized his mission to the Jews. But now in Galilee of the Gentiles, as it gets called, it's a bit how, like how um, Londoners call anything above Watford the north. It's a bit snobby. Um, but now in Galilee of the Gentiles, Jesus sends his disciples out, his disciples to make disciples of all nations, of all peoples, not just Israel. Previously in the book of Matthew, Jesus' mission has focused on the Jews. But now Jesus sends his disciples to make all peoples, to go out into all the world, to tell the gospel to anyone who will listen. God's plan has always been that he would bless his people, though. All people, sorry. It's easy to think that up to this point, God has only wanted to bless the Jews, but no, he's always wanted to bless all peoples. It's right there in God's call to Abraham. 
It was a call to bless all the people through his people. Let me just quickly read those verses to us from Genesis 12, verse 1. They'll come up on the screen as well. The Lord said to Abraham, Go to your country, your people and your father's household, to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the final thing to notice. Ultimately, it's God's mission. It's God's who is on the mission. We just get to join in. From Abraham, God has always had a plan of blessing all peoples through his people, that the good news of Jesus would go out to all ends of the earth. And when I mention mission, I don't only mean going abroad to reach unreached people groups. I mean sharing Jesus, serving the poor, wherever we've been placed by God. We get to join in with him in our communities, in our neighbourhoods, in our friendship groups, here in Nottingham. All nations, all peoples are here. There are hundreds of thousands of people in our city who don't realise they need Jesus in, our, in their lives. And we get to bless them with the good news of Jesus. Ephesians says, we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We no longer need to fear death because Jesus died and rose again. And we have Jesus' life and his hope. We can know God as our father. We can know Jesus as our friend. We can know the spirit empowering us every day to share the blessing that we've received. We've been blessed so that we can be a blessing. I don't know, has anyone seen the film Pay It Forward? Pay it forward. Yeah, a few, few, few little nods. It's a little bit old now. It's back from 12, 2000. I watched it a little bit this week. Um, so it's a little bit grainy, and it is pretty cheesy, let's be honest. Um, if you don't know the story, it's the story of a social studies teacher um, who gives an assignment to his middle school class to think of an idea to change the world and then put it into action. I think my favorite idea from the class is um, that of one of the, the children who comes up with the idea of getting all the, the kids in China to jump at the same time to try and knock the earth off its axis. I don't think that would end very well if it did work. But um, the story follows one young student who plans to pay forward favors or good deeds to three people and then for them to pass it on and so on and so forth. So this student helps a homeless guy and gets him a job and gets him off the street and gets him on his feet. And that guy passes on the, the good deed and pays it forward and so forth, so on and so forth. And he starts a wave of human kindness, which blossoms into a national thing and it changes the US for the better. I don't know about you, but we've received such a blessing. Do you pass on the blessing that you've received from God? Do you pay it forward? Do you pass on the free gift of God's salvation? You see, if we were only motivated by what I spoke about earlier, obedience, if we were only motivated by that, making uh, the task of making disciples would be 
nearly impossible. It would be so draining. But if you know Jesus, if you know his goodness and his grace, you can be motivated by that. You just get to pass on that blessing. Let's share this glorious good news that we have. What's even more countercultural than that is that when we share this good news, when we share this blessing, we don't ask for the glory back. We don't ask for thanks back to us. But as people start um, praising Jesus, the thanks goes back to God. When they become Christians, it goes back to him. The blessing goes back to him. We've received such grace and such blessing from Jesus. Let's pass it on to those around us. Can I have the band? I think this morning there's probably a couple of responses. And for, the, for most of us, it's this first response. For most people this morning, you'll have heard the words of Jesus to you. Go and make disciples. And it's challenging. It's prompting you. It's prompting you to maybe make some practical changes in your life, to give God opportunities to use you as his hands and feet. And today you need to make some decisions, some resolutions, to allow God to use you more in this area. And so today, come before God, not in your strength. You're never going to be able to do it in your strength, but in your weakness, Come before God and ask him to help you. Ask him to help you in this. And for some of us, so the response might be slightly different. We get pretty busy with the task. We make this the ultimate thing. Making disciples is how we rate ourselves against God. And if it's not going too well, if there's not much fruit, we put ourselves down. If that's you, if you're exhausted by looking for the results of making disciples. Come before God. Be reminded that Jesus died for you, that he loves you, that he loves you whatever you do, whether you see fruit in your life or not. You can serve and obey and follow him, but only out of the power that he's given you by his Holy Spirit. So ask him to fill you up again. Ask him to remind you of his love. Hannah.